0: You're listening to the AFL Unlimited Podcast, where we tackle all the hot topics in the AFL and bring you up to speed with everything you need to know in the football landscape. We'll take a look at this weekend's games and have some mixed discussion about what to expect. Let's head up to the box for the opening bounce. For Brisbane, another shocking finals exit begins to mount after three bites at a flag apple have led to one win out of six finals. Further heartache ensued shortly after their loss, with an unexpected departure seemingly imminent. GWS, while gallant, were ultimately too beat up to continue the fight as they bow out with an optimistic view to 2022, but with some obvious changes needing to occur, their path is not as clearly defined as they'd hoped. The Bulldogs have sparked a fire which looks to burn in similar flame to that of their 16 final series, but they'll need to get over some damaging injury issues before coming up against a raging power team on their own streets. And Geelong continue their pattern of finals discrepancies looking to enter a second grand final in two years, but needing to face their own demons to get their first and a chance at redemption. This is finals 2021. Boys, we've got us all together again this week. Welcome all. Good to be here. Hello, hello. This is the week that footy fans all wait for prelim final week. It's the spiciest weekend of the football calendar. And we've had some discussions during the week about how the prelim finals... sometimes more harder to win than the grand final and these games look pretty hard to split so far so as usual we've got some news to get through and we've got a couple of big stories that have been around this week and then we're going to get into some quick previews and our massive uh, previews of the prelim finals. Chuck take us away. Hey hey
1: (laughs) no, it's been pretty, pretty good that we've got a bit of a a later episode this week um despite the fact that I can't remember <laughs> the weekends games anymore but um there's been some news that has developed we've been able to catch up with so the first one here obviously is the Lockie Neal bombshell almost straight after their uh elimination against the dogs the news came out that you know he was requesting a trade back to WA that's obviously not official yet but um Plenty of talking points. Every man and his dog has had a a say about it. Um, He's copying it from all ends from everybody and there's been some things there going on. But what do we think about this, guys? Shorty, you probably have something interesting to say.
2: (laughs) You would think. But no, um, I'm nothing too controversial with this one. I reckon it's not ideal for the Lions, is it? But I'm certainly understanding of the circumstance, I think. When he signed that big deal, he would have had no idea what the world would look like at the moment. But I would imagine his family probably had plans to grow the family. You know, it would have been in their long-term plans. So things have changed and it's obviously much more uh, difficult to raise a family in the current environment with travel and they want to be in WA. I reckon that's fair enough. So if I were the Lions, I'd I'd do my best to accommodate it without – damaging yourself because you sign those deals for a reason so i think they should try to make it work um but if things get rough and they can't get a deal that they like then i wouldn't be just going oh no worries have lucky for this or that we'll um we'll cop the rough end, rough end of it that's why you sign those contracts so um not ideal
1: yeah it's not the best and you say you know that's why you sign these contracts, or you signed a contract. That's the same deal with Lockie Neal, in my opinion, though. He signed a contract for money, and it was pretty much just for money, and and you know a chance at you know a new a fresh start. And if if he knew that he wanted to go back to WA at some point, maybe he shouldn't have uh, signed a massive long term, very front ended deal as well. So that's something that's become really tricky when it comes to player contracts is taking all this money early, only to bail before the the lower pay starts there needs to be some things put in place or at least some sort of phrasing put in there but even if you put that into a contract you're basically acknowledging ah you can bend the rules if you want you can call quits if you decide you don't want to stick around um i I think it's it's on him that you know you signed the deal you agreed to it all in the first place um you kind of need to you know either take it or or take what you can get sort of thing Mm -hmm. i don't know if you differ there but
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, things can change. I mean, five years ago, maybe, maybe you didn't want to go back to WA and they want to start a family now, and the, the world looks a bit different with travel. But I mean, what's the alternative? You know, no lucky, we're not going to let you go under any circumstance. Just bring your family up in Brisbane. It's a nice place. I mean, I think, I think we can probably have it a little bit both ways where we could probably do our best to accommodate it without Brisbane coming up short because, like you said, Lockie's benefited yeah. from a good deal. So Brisbane can't just say, no worries, mate, thanks. You can go for pick 20. Just have a good family life. So it goes both ways. Yeah.
1: It, it does. I don't want to cut time from, from the boys and turn this into the shorty <laughs> and trick show. But uh, I just want my other <laughs> point is we've seen this a lot with a lot of players, you know, throwing around their their power and their weight and demanding trades or asking for trades this could just lead to controversy I reckon down the track we don't want to end up in the NDA where the clubs fight back and new contracts come in where you know clubs just decide all right if you guys want to trade whenever you feel like it we're going to trade whenever we feel like it clubs start sending players to places to places they don't want to go and going oh mate you've got three years on your contract but we're sending you to Perth now instead because mm-hmm. we don't want you anymore I, I think it's 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 a precedent that's starting to you know evolve and and discussions need to be had before anything goes a bit wild playing it.
0: Yeah, I guess my views on the whole situation are pretty similar to Shorty's um, over, I think, the COVID situation certainly is something that people sort of don't think about. You know, we're all living it every single day, but, you know, when it comes to AFL trades. We just think like, oh, the bloody money-hungry players or whatever. But we need to take into account people's family situations, just like we are our own in our own lives daily. And you know, some of the players haven't seen their family in two years. And I think with Adam Chera that's been a big reason for his uh, move as well. We just have to take into account that, yeah, some players and partners haven't seen their families in almost two years, and that that can be pretty hard. Tiz. Yeah, nicely said, guys. Uh,
3: yeah, it's. Becoming so much more commonplace now. Never has a player had so much power over what their destiny looks like and in terms of you know, requesting trades, contracts, especially the big stars. You know, locking Neal, obviously a massive deal. And I think, uh, Chuck, on your point earlier, I reckon it'd be a great uh, exercise to probably back end the, the contract to ensure and hope that the players stay on longer so that they do actually see out the contract when they send the bigger bucks towards the end because we're seeing a lot of players... Um, not really honor their contracts for the, the whole period of time and, and definitely it's a new age now where it is much more business transaction like with players moving around clubs um, trying to give themselves a chance with um, you know winning premierships free agencies obviously uh, helped that in that space as well it's but yeah, this specific situation and we'll definitely be hearing and seeing more uh, is, so complicated that we we almost <laughs> can't really say what what is right or wrong. It, it's going to be tough no matter what. Uh, ideally, wh- whatever happens, I think Brisbane should be very well accommodated for. If if Flocky does end up leaving, they'll do everything they can to keep him. Uh, if if it's just too hard or too much, then I, I think clearly he'll leave. But they will they won't be going um, without a fight and without getting the the right compensation because they they planned their their um salary around him they plan their their build around him so to to see a superstar go um would definitely hurt them they've won their seven games this year uh without him and they're a better team with him in it but in saying that they may be able to cover for him down the track um whole situation is neil will probably go to the west and it's definitely not ideal for brisbane pretty um yeah, pretty almost unlucky uh, in the sense of how the world's panned out. It's changed uh, drastically
1: over the last prime few years. for Frio though, if it happens, I'd mm. say I'd be back. I'd be getting on the the Frio wagon. <laughs> and <laughs> as, or, as or you mentioned, you know,
2: as Tis sort of touched on, there's probably not too many clubs that could cover a loss like that as easily as Brisbane probably can. I mean, I think McCluggage will get a lot more inside mid time. Barry Cam Rain will come back, and and even Deb Robinson. So. Um, you never know. Tim Kelly yeah. goes, Ablett goes, Franklin but, goes. You know, clubs can yeah. clubs can mold to different structures.
1: Definitely. Cats lost um, Gary Ablett and the coach in the same year and then won the flag. So mm-hmm. anything can happen. And while we were touching on on players and contracts, we'll just quickly go over this one. Is that we've had a few snub free agency, uh the big talking points, a few of them, probably the two big boys, uh Luke Parker and Guffrey have both re-signed for Pretty much long-term, long-ish deals. I think about four or five years were both of their deals to probably see them uh, one club players for for life, um, unless they do a lucky Neal and change their mind halfway through the contract. But um, it's an interesting one because a lot of radio stations and the likes were going, "Oh, you know what Brisbane should do? They should go hard at Luke Parker. That'd be a great replacement in their bank." That story's over straight away. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure, uh, and it's it's great news for the Swans and Parker. I don't think he was ever going to go. He's absolutely given his heart and soul to that club as well as Camp Guthrie has. Um, I think we can all attest to that and the service that both of those players have given to those respective clubs has been absolutely massive and it's always you know sad to see players of that ilk sort of moved on uh, in, in a sense or, or moving on to different clubs because of you know salary cap squeezes and we've seen a bit of that salary cap squeeze sort of come into effect with some of the delistings um, from some of the clubs this year. Um, but overall, I think it's everyone's glad, all football fans are glad that Parker especially has stayed at Sydney and Guthrie's locked in for four years at the Cats. Two very heart and
3: soul players, as you mentioned there. Um, yeah, very glad that the deals got done because it just would have been very foreign to have Parker elsewhere or, you know, a, a Guthrie sort of um, go by the wayside elsewhere and you just knew the quality of the players and uh, you just knew it'd probably get done. And But when it sort of... Uh, you know, it takes a while late in the season and even till after the season, you kind of get a bit nervous. But uh, no, nah, never in doubt for those two guys, Shorty.
2: Yeah, I think it's always nice to have one club players. I reckon there's, there's still a little bit of that romance. I don't think there's too many leagues and comps around the world that probably respect it as much. So it is nice to see that, you know, clubs definitely do still value, or players do value that they, Stay loyal to a club more often than not.
0: And speaking of, so well. speaking of being loyal, the AFL hasn't been necessarily loyal to its Melbourne-based fans. Chuck, there was some big news about the grand final start time uh, for this year's grand final in WA, and it's not got everyone in the best of moods, but we'll quickly touch on that big news.
1: I feel like we'll be repeating a, a discussion from last year when we were touching on how we felt about uh, changing the time of the grand final. Um, I feel so they've moved it to a, a night. It'll be night in Victoria and kind of mid, like late afternoon, early nightish for obviously WA, who are a couple hours behind the Vic time, but. It's an interesting time slot, very late. I feel like there's going to be people who will be passed out before the game starts. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it'll be an interesting one, and I'm I'm not a fan, to be honest. I, I love having it in the middle of the day, so then you have know, the barbecue and and the you know the fanfare that you can have around that. If obviously we're out of lockdown, I don't think we will be, but I, I prefer a day grand final. I just think the excitement is more fun, but. Who knows? WA is pretty exciting. They've got all those lights being built into the stadium for a reason. So let's see how it goes, A Short?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely my overriding opinion is always um, I like a day grand final. Like you said, Chuck, I like the, how the day is set up. It's it's tradition. I think it's great. Um, and I also like that, you know, you can have a premiere by the late afternoon and, and it's a night to sort of celebrate if you're if you're lucky enough to have that. So, um, yeah, it's a good point with WA, though. They do have a great stadium with those lights, and that is probably one of their main features. And, look, there's so much that has changed at the moment. They're obviously giving it a crack. The Twilight Grand Finals will be genuine twilight, so they're they're throwing a few things around. I mean, I wasn't shocked. I probably thought it would happen. But when things do get back to normal, I definitely would prefer to see some day grand final back in action. What do you reckon, Langers?
0: Yeah, I think the the literal shining light from this announcement is the how good that oval is. I don't think people really understand how sophisticated the technology of that stadium is. It's one of the leading stadiums in the world for the, the lighting show they can produce. And having been there personally, as I've mentioned before, it's probably one of the best stadiums I've been to. I think it's probably a better experience than the MCG, mainly just because of how symmetrical and Uh, sophisticated the ground is there's not a bad spot in the house the mcg is clearly still the best venue in australia for sporting but it is old older styled which is absolutely fair and not an issue with that but that optus stadium is like a very modern crisp and shiny stadium and that light show is going to be perfect for uh, a night grand final and hopefully just returns to its normal time slot and normal location next year tears.
3: Oh, it would be nice, yeah, to have, at least honour some of the tradition again. The time zone makes it a little bit tricky. But even still, I, I think you, if Melbourne could figure a way out to have it all sorted and all bounce of the ball at 2.30 p.m., I, I don't see how WA couldn't have sorted it out for 4.30 p.m. rather than 7.30 p.m. our time. But, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's a bit frustrating. I, I don't care too much for the, the twilight or night grand final element. Um. Yeah, I'm very much a yeah day grand final operator, and, and obviously it's such such an inconvenience for the players as well that siren doesn't go till you know about just before ten thirty. So again, by the time they get in the rooms and really celebrate. They they're not in, in bed till like three or four o'clock in the morning. Oh, I don't so. think
0: they'd be getting to bed tears after winning a
3: grand final. So
0: <laughs> no, no rest no, for the weekend. That's but, it. That's yeah, a tis- laser specialty just going to an event tis- and just going to bed by 9 tis- p.m. or an tis- early tis- 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 hour. So Tears <laughs> is making
1: Sorry, guys, I've got to have eight eight a nap.
3: Yeah. That would oh, be up yeah. all night, I reckon. I've got flag, would. i got to get their Z's all sorted, mate. But um I'm not a huge fan of the night grand final and yeah, I don't think it helps him a lot, but hopefully yeah, hopefully uh, the world gets to a better place in the next 12 months and it's back to some normality on the, the 2.30 at the MCG, the home of football.
1: Absolutely. I'll be looking forward to a, a special light show edition of AFL Limited because, you know, there's nothing else happening other than the light show on that day, right?
0: I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> yeah. technologically advanced, Chuck, but it will be hard for me to visually represent lights uh, through a audio uh, show, but uh, I'll do my best. Um, something that was back to normality, Tiz, as you mentioned, the cat's brought back their winning form into finals and continued their pattern. As we spoke about before they had a big win over the giants on Friday night, getting up over 35 points. It was looking nervy at stages, but boys, let's just put our heads together and quickly review these two semifinals from last week going into the pre the prelims.
3: Yeah, nice things. Uh, so the cats continued in their consistent fashion of losing the first week, winning the second week. Um, against yeah a depleted Giants outfit, it has to be said. Obviously, they had you know no Toby Green was out, and Jesse Hogan laid out as well was also quite significant. I think he was always not going to play because Phil, Phil Davison for Radical Earing for the Cats, kind of a bit of a swap-around situation there. But you could tell they, they definitely lacked that, um, that target up forward when the Giants did go forward. They, they both had the same number of entries. Um, but, yeah, Geelong, they, they make hard work of stuff. I think we've identified that over a long period of time. Um, you know, missing a lot of shots early. I, I, don't, I don't think the Giants supplied a lot of pressure. I think they were pretty, pretty tired, pretty cooked from the week before. Um, obviously, it was a massive game just to get across line against the Swans and they were hanging on for dear life. But, I mean, good, good to respond first and foremost. Um, we had to win and, and we found a way. If you lose that, then uh, all of a sudden you're in the rebuild mode potentially. And, yeah, look, we we definitely made them earn it in the third term when we uh, got on a bit of a roll there. And, um, yeah, pressure was back, which was good to see. That, that's what we want to see. Um, yeah, and I, I think the Giants definitely made us a little bit nervous in the last quarter when they got it down to 20 points. Made, uh, yeah, made me very nervous because <laughs> I was thinking, I've not this not this again, I have <laughs> seen it a few weeks ago. Surely not, but really good to have Blitz down back. Uh a 12-2 with Radagalia in the side, so I've been a harsh critic, and I think since the Fremantle game, he's uh, he's been excellent. And for Paddy and Joel to only have 34 between them, if you told that at the start of the night, you'd probably say Geelong lose. But, yeah, just a really good even team performance. Pressure was back. Um, forward line looked nice and open. Hawk played a great game, and I'll let you guys discuss a bit more on Hawk, but... Yeah, just uh, just pleasing to see that the plays you're not sure of um, play better. And, and Tui was amazing, which um, you guys four goal assists. He, he was incredible shot.
2: Sure. Yeah, yeah, nicely summed up, mate. Um, yeah, I thought it was just sort of business like by the Cats. We probably expected that kind of performance. You never quite know um, going into the game. I kind of thought like there was a lot to lose and not necessarily as much to gain, you know, a win was expected. And like you said, Tyce, a loss, well, it's carnage. So yeah, um, there were some improved signs. The pressure was slightly better, but I also feel like we maybe upped up to maybe a gear or two, but that sort of performance will need to be up another couple of years, um come Friday night, which we'll touch on. So I didn't think it was anything to scream from the rooftops that the cats are back in business, but, it was a good win. Any finals win is good. So um, that was pleasing to see a few guys step up like the big Tomahawk did.
1: Oh, it was impressive seeing Hawkins. And, you know, um, I've probably also been a bit against the Asava wagon, not purely against him as a player. I just didn't think that the team kind of would work with that dynamic. But it really did show that the main important factor that he brings in is that Blitzav stays down back because I thought Blitzavs was crucial. I thought he looked fantastic down back, really rock solid and just the team looked more composed and contained with uh, Blitz there. Um, I think Asava only got about four or five hitouts in the end as when he was in the ruck, but like his presence was good. It meant Stanley got to have a rest and and Stanley wasn't, you know, having to do all the work. He did a shitload. He got 35 <laughs> hit outs and was pretty impressive. I think it was, once again, Stanley's played a really good game um, where he kind of cops it a fair bit the last, you know, this year, the cup, last couple of years, he's copped it a fair bit, um, I think, um, undeservedly. Um, and I, I'm really excited to see how he handles the rest of finals. But one player I wanted to really touch on here was Max Holmes, who I was... A little concerned about him coming into the side. You know, he's a young kid. He, he's a bit inconsistent, perhaps. But I was extremely impressed with his performance. I'd actually said previously, I said, if I see Max Holmes in the centre bounce at any stage, I'm going to be pissed off because we've got so many gun midfielders. Um, and when he was in there, he was absolutely awesome. He had a, um, five clearances in the end, and he just looked spectacular, I thought. He had that one little stuff up, which wasn't his own fault for that shot at goal when it got kind of smothered off him. Um, but I was really impressed by by Holmes. And Langers, I don't know if you had any thoughts on his performance or if there are any other players that caught your eye.
0: Yeah, he was great, Chook. Every one of his 10 touches were contested, five clearances and equal eight tackles for the Cats. It was an awesome performance. And he came in for that role in the forward line as that pressure forward. And he did it really well and he'll stay in the team. I think uh, going back to the radical discussion we were having structurally shorty, we were talking during the week about how important he is and he doesn't need to kick five or whatever for the cats to win, but you know, he still only had five touches, but it was quite important that he was crashing those packs. And we're going to definitely need that against Lever and May. I think the other flow and effect that has as well is Rowan then becomes the fourth tool. So they're really stretching the other teams are really stretching their defense to cover Rowan and that actually allows him to float across the front of packs and take some marks in his traditional style that he normally does and it also encourages him to be a pressure forward as well which is what he's really good at because he is probably the quickest accelerating player in the league and we saw early in that first quarter he got a rundown tackle on Lockie Whitfield and You know, there's been discussions about his poor finals performances in history and a good way to get any player or any team into the game is just by having that pressure element right from the get-go because you're going to get into the game regardless if you're applying that pressure and it's always going to lead to scores. So I think structurally the Radagalia move for Geelong makes a lot of sense and helps us a lot in the long term. Um, From the Giants side, I was really impressed with not only their game this week, but their year as a whole. They've had some massive injuries they're an absolute battler uh, of a team. They never say die Um, They actually have a lot of heart, and I was I was pretty proud of them. I guess you could say um, after the, the dust had settled and the the, the win was locked in for the Cats, I was certainly um, you know pleased with how the Giants have performed this year, considering their injuries, a couple of retirements, a couple of uh, questions around Canelio and Toby Green being their captain to come out of their their year, but they've certainly got the uh, the ingredients to bake a very good cake in the next couple of years, too.
3: Yeah, it really surprised me, obviously starting off 0-3 and, 3 and uh, even throughout the course of the game, they really challenged us at times and uh, talk about absolute warriors, uh, Shane Mumford. He's been in and out of retirement for at least a couple of years and probably wasn't expected to step up. They had three rucks, but they were all injured, unfortunately on long-term injury list. So been been an absolutely Herculean effort from from uh, the big mummy but um, yeah look their their clearance game and their their scores from stoppage has obviously been a real highlight this year and uh, definitely testing us in late in that last quarter every time we kicked a goal GWS would respond in 30 seconds it was mm. it was nuts so I, I've definitely identified them as a plastic football club in the past but <laughs> I, I, ironically with with the uh, I suppose stars leaving or being traded uh, they've become a lot more a lot more players of taken on a role and and really done what they've needed to do for the team which has been really influential so um yeah look they they're such a hard team to play against um uh, leon cameron's done a terrific job and yeah steve canilio is definitely a, a massive talking point out of that one guys and whether he keeps the captaincy uh there's talk about freeman Or does he go back you know go over to the west um you know home to his family uh, I don't think he'd want to exercise that far, but he is on a lot of money and um, he just needs to get back to playing some good footy and just get his confidence back. He internally, externally just looks a little bit shot and um, he might be still injured um, and just you know showing up because it is finals and you, know, you need your captains, you need your leaders there. But uh, unfortunately yeah. he just hasn't quite been uh, the player that he was. He's a shell of the, the player that he was. He was a, a star Ooh, tagger, two way runner. So yeah, um, yeah, wanted, wanted to see what you reckon now, shall we? Yeah,
2: it's got a bit of Dan Hanbury vibes for me. I think, um, you know, a lot of talk about maybe is it his confidence? I feel like it could maybe be a mixture of both, but predominantly his body, I reckon. I don't think the captaincy has sat super well with him. Um, so I reckon he'd be keen to just ditch that, purely focus um, on getting back to – because he was he was a gun, like you said. So – um, can he get back to that he's also not being played probably because of his you know, form and, and maybe fitness he isn't played in that center bound super regularly there's some Giants that have gone past him but um, unless you boys had anything else to sort of touch I'd be really keen to get your thoughts on you know the replacement for Parfitt, Um and, and hey even if you think maybe who should be the Giants captain next year as well' there's been a bit of discussion about that but um, you know uh, if anyone wanted to put forward a name i know i'm certainly in the <laughs> narkle camp that's for sure
0: we might touch on the ins and outs when we get into the prelim uh discussion yeah. um because there will be a bit more scope for the broader discussion there for the ins and outs for both teams but unless we had any more points on that game did you guys want to touch on the absolute blinder of a semi final which was the dogs and the lions at the gabba
1: Nah, I reckon we can give it a miss, can't we? Or yeah, what? it wasn't that good. It was, it was, it was a 100-point
0: blowout anyway. So it was absolutely one of the games probably of the year and probably one of the best finals we've seen in recent memory. It was absolutely down to the wire. And big Baz Lenka just slotted a left-foot snap, grind Myers-style, against Adelaide in the boundary. Uh, right late in the uh, last quarter, it was equaled to Zach Bailey and a really smart play by Lathan Vandermeer to get that point through in the last uh, seconds to give the dogs the win. Tiz, how did you see this absolutely great game?
3: Oh, it was incredible in scenes to watch. Um, the Lions obviously had a really good field position and I suppose controlled the game for longer periods of time. But and, and there's been a lot of controversy around the, the umpiring decisions and <laughs> things are paid or not paid. Um, I, I think the Lions definitely had a lot more control than, on the game than the dogs did unfortunately they just couldn't make him pay on the scoreboard so they had I think about 14 more inside 50 so they definitely had it more forward half uh, I suppose prominence and but they just couldn't yeah they just couldn't score uh, the way they would have liked when when they had that you know that um, that field position so yeah the dogs but that speaks to the dog's as being quite incredible um, and Cameron gets uh, sort of swapped up after a quarter time with with Giray, who did, uh, one of the most amazing uh, one-on-ones you'll, you'll see game and season on the line and uh, one-on-one he kept his feet. So Yeah,
1: definitely
3: uh, was. Yeah, and, and finals are one on you know, winning contests and we just saw so many times Bally Smith influenced the game, kicking two goals in the last quarter and setting up probably every other score that – they had as well. So he lifted up a level, which was really good. And it was Andrew McLeod like that goal. He kicked from the pocket uh, to win a game against the Pies in 2005. So we're going back a, a fair while there. But, yeah, dogs just super gutsy, um, amazing win. And, yeah, it's, it's such a typical dogs win, I feel, just the, the way they went about it. Um, Lions, again, they you know, straight sets two out of the last three years. I, I do think this year they, they kind of fell into the top four, Uh, They had some good wins late in the season, but I don't think they defeated great opposition. Uh, Obviously, good on them for getting the percentage, and they fell in the top four by half a percent or whatever it was. So, and dogs were top two for most of the year as well. So, I think the result kind of was fitting in what it uh, turned out to be. So, yeah, they, they were, you know, a bit stiff lines, but they had their chances and they didn't make them pay. And dogs, Absorbed it and um, they made a counter punch in the last term to get get him over the line, Shorty.
2: Yeah, it was an enthralling game, wasn't it? And the atmosphere was just
0: amazing um,
2: at the Gabba. It was great. Yeah, two huge moments, Smith and Bailey. I think we'll remember those goals for some time. So pretty exciting. And, and yeah, a bit of a... Yeah, you know, pressure mounting for the Lions, no doubt about that. When you sort of start to lose a few finals, particularly at home, particularly in that straight sets manner, you know, they'll contend again. But as we well know as Cats fans, the pressure sort of starts to build the more that stuff kind of goes on. So, yeah, it was very Western Bulldogs-like in the way they can win these finals at times and had some massive moments. Bont was great. And, of course, Smith, I feel like you make your name and certainly cement that status in finals and he certainly made a massive step there. That's for sure. What do you make of it, Langs?
0: Yeah, just generally a, a great game all around, as we've mentioned. But um, yeah, the Dogs just have so many you know, strong midfielders and, and clutch players. And one of the biggest players I think we've seen in recent times was DeRay on Charlie Cameron in that last 30 seconds or wherever it was. I thought for sure that was going at the back. And DeRay nearly lost his footing, but did so well, Chook, to keep his feet and pretty much saved the game that I think that was the actual full stop of the game being one right then and there. And what an absolute one-on-one win and Charlie was looking dangerous all night and actually tightened down on him pretty well uh, in the last quarter. But yeah, that last play was heart in your mouth, mouth stuff. And yeah, an awesome win by DeRay and just some clutch moments all around for the dogs, which seems to be the case of their recent finals victories.
1: Yeah, that was uh, just amazing by DeRay, but I've watched the replay a couple of times. i I kind of, it, when it crosses over, I don't get a proper vibe of what Charlie was doing or how he was positioning himself at that contest there. Because really, he should have done what um, what the dogs were doing and, and just tried to smash it through the goals or, you know, even punch it. Um, I don't know whether maybe he was just trying to position himself for, you know, I'll scoop up the ball and then mm-hmm. I'll, you know, try and dance around and give a game winning goal. But really, he should have just been doing that. Desperate dive and punch for the for the goals to ch- at least get it behind and and hopefully give them a chance in in overtime. Um, I, I felt really bad for the lions there. It looked like they were gonna. Isla, for one was on the the lions side this week. Um, I'd finally given up on backing in the dogs a few weeks ago when I kept saying they're gonna come back. They're gonna come back, and then they kept losing, and then <laughs> start a finals. I said no. Nah, I've, I've lost the support for the dogs because they just keep failing me and they've gone on to win two in a row now. And it, it's, it's amazing me um how well they're doing. um Yeah. I, I was surprised again because it looked like the Lions were starting to get on top, particularly with McInerney dominating in the ruck. I know I keep hammering on about the yeah. situation that the dogs have nothing, but McInerney really looked to be capitalizing. Like once he got a feel for, I've got no contest in here. He was just, you know, smashing the ball forward a fair bit, getting real good control. When English obviously stepped up a fair bit after that started to happen, they were kind of forced to play English a bit more like full on in the ruck because they realised how well McInerney was doing. So that was a really good adjustment by the Dogs there in that regard. But I still wonder what they'll do. And obviously we'll talk about the team's changes Um in a, in a moment's time, but you mentioned, Chuk, sorry, am. the
0: um, I think I'm in the same camp of um, the dogs sort of flabbergasted me with how well they've um, come back. I, I, I'd mentioned that I hadn't tipped them in either of the two games so far, and they've absolutely caught me by surprise about how well they've done. And I think they could have some momentum going to this uh, prelim, but Tiz, did you think the dogs have showed some of that form from their 16 final series in clutch moments, like we discussed?
3: They've got a lot of heart, uh, the dogs, and the, they're so tough. We saw the amount of crazy smellers they did late in the game, and I wanted to you know, a massive shout-out for um, Caleb Daniel, who he had a couple of kicks, I suppose, in the, I think was in the second, third term, where he just kicked it right up the middle, and he took on that brave kick, hit the target, uh, which ended up in dog's goal. So we talk about just being able to execute under the finals pressure, and I thought those moments were great. And then alternately, you look at Brisbane and, you know, I feel bad for them too, considering, you know, home deck and, and probably had more of the play, but didn't, again, didn't quite get it all on the scoreboard. Um, you know, we saw McCluggage take a kick and Zorko take a kick and it just it goes out of bounds on the full by just absolute centimetres. So one of those goes through. Um, all of a sudden, we're looking at either a different result or uh, a bit of extra time. So, um, yeah, I thought I'd uh, mention those little bits and pieces just before we head off to a quick break langs.
0: Absolutely right. And yeah, some some clutch moments all around and unfortunate for Brisbane, but it's only going to get more clutcher and more harder as we head into the prelims and we're going to be off to our quick break as Tiz mentioned and then back for our massive prelim finals preview. As I mentioned before, it's the biggest week in the football calendar, the spiciest week in 2021. Two massive prelim finals coming up. The first one, Friday night, Optus Stadium, Melbourne Demons versus the Geelong Cats. The Ds are continuing their search for destiny and the Cats are looking for some redemption after a final grand final heartbreak last year. Boys, it's looking like it's going to be a huge game in deciding the eventual premiere. It will be, indeed. Um,
1: to be honest, I really f- thought this would be the, the actual battle for the Premiership. You know, a few weeks ago, it was looking like these were the two best sides, but... Geelong does, did what Geelong does and <laughs> flopped <laughs> out of the first qualifier. But I'm really excited for this game. I think it's going to be a red-hot contest and I think we're going to see completely different sort of style and, and spectacle than we saw when they last met back in around uh, 23,
3: Tis. Thanks, Chook. Yes, what a clash it will be. And both sides will definitely take a fair bit of our last game, but also acknowledge it's going to be completely different. Uh, playing for much higher stakes, and round 23, Geelong. Not really sure what was the home final situation looked like. So, if it was a GMHBA home final, does it doesn't look a bit different with the way they they uh, go about it in round 23? Um, did Melbourne put all their chips in? They found a way to come back, and uh, it's a bit of pick your poison with what do you take Geelong's first half um, or do you take Melbourne's uh, comeback? So, yeah, look, it's going to be. Yeah, one of the toughest games to watch <laughs> for, for both both sides. You're going to love being a neutral fan for this game because just, you just know it's going to go down the wire. We've had so many close clashes in recent times and both these sides have great respect for each other. Max Gorn seems to find a way to have an impact around the uh, siren time. So, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely puts his hand up um, to try and, you know, make his impact found sort of late in the game. And, look, we, we definitely know. Melbourne have a lot of uh, assets, and they, they have the ability to you know, really grind the opposition down, and their defensive mechanisms are are quite strong. and And we know that they're um they, they make you pay. Their ball movement's really really good, and um, Geelong love that control control sort of game style where they possess the ball, um, get high contested possession numbers, and mitigate inside fifties from the opposition, and trying to not turn the ball over as, as much as possible. Um, that'll be the the goal, but yeah, to try and isolate the forwards, we'll need really good ball movement, really good contest work, and uh, give our forwards the best chance to not allow Melbourne to uh, influence our forward line too much. Sure.
2: Yeah, there's just so much in it, isn't it? prelim final will be nervous wrecks, um, but just as a game, in you know, on its own, there's four clubs left two games just every little matchup gets dissected who can get the edge here who's gonna maybe tag there and you know this guy will he be superstar for the finals will he be up to the you know there's so much in it so i'm looking forward to it by the same token you know you get nervous the closer the day sort of gets but yeah there's a lot in it for melbourne you sort of get the sense with the historical factor just how long it's been you know they get the feeling they are on that destiny style of run. You know, this is their time. doesn't always work out like that. So there's so much in that. And from a Geelong point of view, so much success on one factor in terms of finals campaigns of late They you know, haven't been able to break through for the flag. And this has been a stumbling point on many occasions. So there's a lot in it historically, individual matchups. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, well, you've you've brought up the individual matchups and the likes. There, do you have any examples? Short or Langers or want Anyone have one that they're
0: really excited about?
2: Yeah, Langers go for it, son.
0: Yeah, well, matchups in in general. I think you know we spoke a lot about um, uh, in importance to the side, and I think that for me, that's the key difference as to why I think Geelong can win. Is that Sav hasn't played against Melbourne the last two times. Uh, that they have played this year and that that really is going to stretch Melbourne's defense who are obviously the best in the competition but you know Lever and May are so good at intercepting and you know one-on-one defense and Petty's done such an awesome job as being that um, David Asprey type role I think someone um, mentioned Asprey as being like the designated driver who you know does all the hard work doesn't have any fun but he goes and allows his mates to do all the flashy stuff and win all the Norm Smiths and get all the accolades. And that's what Petty's doing for, to Lever and May. Yeah. And I think radical inclusion to that, to that forward line. It will just stretch them that little bit extra further. I don't think they have that fourth tall that can cover, you know, that flying Gary Rowan to come through. And that's going to be a huge point of difference short in, in the forward line for Geelong. Um, Michael Hibbard obviously comes in for the, the demons being widely reported that Joel Smith has a hamstring injury and Hibbard will come in as that lockdown defender. Whether he goes and Rowan is a discussion point for itself, but certainly the, the midfield I think will go head-to-head head, um, and back themselves in, but the, the forward line and back line for each team is where it's obviously going to be won and lost and there'll be some key um, decisions and, and moments in, in either parts of the ground there that will result in the victory or loss.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, the obvious Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver is so important. I think Salem down back, you know, sort of applying a little bit of attention to him is crucial. You know, the Melbourne people, they'll be wondering how do you stop Cameron and Hawkins? You know, I personally wouldn't mind seeing Salwood would take a little bit of a defensive mindset into yeah, the game. Yeah, sure. It hasn't been in great form. Not a full-on tag, but maybe defensively, you know, how can maybe a close or whoever might find Lever – walk his way you know that's sort of been the way taking a smaller type and intercepting how can they get dangerous so and not to mention the Stanley versus Gorn battle is is massive so yeah there's a lot in it when you all boil it down so sometimes it just comes down to which superstars really stand up you know little bits and pieces and tactics but like we saw last week in, in the second final sometimes it's just moments and, and players and teams just step up so yeah it's going to be some history mate. Yeah,
1: I think the crucial factor for this Cats team and what we saw evidently last week—I don't think we actually talked about it—but Zach Tui, we touched on it slightly, his role in this side is so crucial as a as a line breaker and a composed ball user. Um, him moving into that side allowed Duncan to move back a bit further forward than he had been the week before, and. Zach Tui is just so important in the fact that he's got the speed to, you know, to run. He's not afraid to run and carry, and he's definitely not afraid to roost that ball past a few, um, over a few heads and and break some of those sort of those lines and those, those plays that the defensive people can set up. So I think Zach Tui is going to be a really crucial factor for Geelong in terms of a change um, and, and his role in the side. And I definitely agree with your other sentiments there, Short. Sure, you know, the midfield's going to be... Uh, I don't think there will be really tagging. I think it's just going to be...
2: Accountability.
1: Yeah, just be accountable for your man, back yourself in. And that's where I think the path that injury is a crucial one because I think he's shown himself to be a fairly defensive-minded and and a, a, a bit of a presence in terms of just, like, negating players and actually being a bit more tough um, and, you know putting pressure on players in that midfield and he's going to be missed a bit. And, you know, Tears, that's where I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on who do you think would come in suitably to replace him? Because Narkel was one we initially thought, you know, he's, he's also got a bit of a flair and he's fast and the likes, but one thing he's been noted is, is his lack of pressure at times and his defensive effort. So Tears, I'd love to know who you think would be the most suitable player to come in to take that path of the spot.
3: He definitely comes to mind, and it it can't be someone attacking. I wouldn't have thought if uh, we're trying to replace a a defensively-minded midfield sweeper, if you like. So that makes me not lean towards Tiggins, although they might go down that path. Tiggins. and it's not. I don't think that's the solution at all, Langs. Not not at all. Constable comes to mind, but he hasn't played all, all year. And, Jeez, and that he, would be a Hail different. <laughs> that he would be ridiculous. <laughs> oh no, no I, I, I agree. Um, a lot of just a lot of injuries. Um, yeah, to some players like O'Connor is obviously out. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Narkle, but I even think that's a bit of a hail mary as
0: well. It, so. it has it has to be Narkle. we we've seen short a couple of games this year that Narkel is, is not a big frame, but he's strong, he's powerful and he can lay tackles. So literally just put him in that middle position and he will, it, the, the rewards will be reaped with his pace and his actual power to not only tackle, but then uh, offensively clear the ball. But he can certainly, if you put it on him, he can certainly play that defensive role and just, and you can be defensive by playing an attacking uh, tackling style of, of game.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive fan of him. That's no secret. Um, I just think of, I think of all the options. It just makes sense. We've lost an inside mid. Yeah, Narkle's defensive attributes have probably been questioned a bit, and Parfit, that's one of his strengths. But that's why I sort of tend to think, you know, maybe Salwood becomes a little bit more accountable around the stoppage, and you give Narkle, you know, a touch more license and take the pressure off. You're not going to bring him in and say be Brandon Parfit because he doesn't have that same ability just be quitting Narkel. And like you said, he does have that real game around the stoppage to explode at his best. He can also be really quiet. So I've heard uh, talk of, you know, could it be Simpson and a bit of a rearrange in terms of, but I, I just think losing inside mid who's the best inside mid to come in. I think it should be Narkel. Give the young man a chance. He might just surprise you.
3: Yeah, it's going to be going to be massive. I don't know how Hibbert hasn't been playing for the Ds. We saw yeah. seen the kind of tagging roles he's done this year. He's taken Dusty to the cleaners and probably mm. a lot of players because he's just he's so quick, he's so tall and so strong in the contest. So he's an incredibly hard matchup and. I, yeah, I don't know how Smith got ahead of him. And, and then you see Charlie Cameron kick five yeah. goals on him. so It just goes it to pretty- show their
0: depth, doesn't it? It's like, you know, Higgins is not in Geelong's best 22. And that's great depth if players like that aren't being in that best 22. And Chalk, it, it goes to show um, not only Melbourne's depth, but, you know, they've had some improvers in their backline. You know, Trent Rivers, Shorty, you're a big fan of. Jake Bow, he's been, you know, he's only just come in in the last four weeks to that demons team, and he's been amazing with his pace. But Hibbert, you know, he's a he's an experienced performer, and do you think that's going to be a positive for Melbourne, you know, with that experience coming in in their backline? Yeah, oh, it, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, go chuck.
1: It definitely would be. I'd so say I think Hibbert has definitely been like a very important player. Similar like Melcham, really. These are two guys that have been consistent in this side for for the last few years, and have kind of found themselves on the outer with some young players really stepping up. But I think Hibbard's going to be um, chomping at the bit to get his get a red hot crack and prove himself that he deserves to be a, a premiership player. So I definitely wouldn't put it past him. I think Melbourne have shown to have a lot of depth, and it's really exciting. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the side that I think Hibbard is going to be a crucial aspect down back for them um, just to kind of help cover and and negate some of these uh, attacking small forwards that the, the Cats have.
3: We definitely haven't played him much uh, throughout the course of the year. But, yeah, look, definitely going to be one and lost in the midfield, as it so often is. We saw Geelong get a number of goals uh, out of the stoppage, a kick four or five goals in that amount of time. And, um, yeah, we're just able to really put a gap between us and the D's, but yeah, we'll we'll definitely touch on some tips pretty shortly with who we think is going to win. But it's going to be very hard to watch, and it's just going to be such a high quality game. And um, now it's going to be very exciting as well uh, with you know the pretty lights at uh, at Optus, and I think it's going to be full crowd as well. So it's going to be uh, absolute uh, absolute treat. So yeah, may may the best team win, and I mean the best team. Uh, on the night, we'll we'll progress further. Short.
2: Yeah, you're, you're spot on, mate. It will be a difficult watch. <laughs> it will be uh, will be tense, no doubt about that. And it it's hard to not be just sort of excited. I mean, it's only natural to sort of analyze it for you know this type of show. But you know, come the night, we'll just be hopeless supporters. I think you know <laughs> you go along to prelim final, full of hope and. One team walks away probably questioning a hell of a lot. The other, you know, you're one step closer to an amazing accomplishment. And, you know, D's in particular, just how long it has been. And certainly the Cats, you know, real hardcore supporters have been wanting to go that one step further and consolidate on a a good period of success. So, looking forward to it.
0: I guess give us your your final little reasons and your tip then, Short, for, for this game. Sure, mate.
2: Yeah, look, I mean... If I take my cat supporter hat off, I, w- I would tip the Ds. Um, like I said, I'll go in as, as hopeful as any, but they deserve to be favourites in my opinion. They won their way through. They got the week off, which would matter a little bit more this time around. And, and I can't help but just be a little bit cautious about Geelong's record in finals over the longest stretch, but particularly genuine finals heat against some of the best teams. Um, so, yeah. I think um, just going to go the D's in a very close one. What about you, Mark?
0: Yeah, it's um, you know, except We always sort of separate our hearts and our head at this point in time. And <laughs> I guess if I go with my head, you know, the Cats lost the first final of being on the easier side of the finals draw. You know, there's people have been saying all year in the media to win a flag, you've got to get through Melbourne, and that certainly will be the case. I think the winner of the grand final will be from this game, but. My heart says so but my head does say Melbourne. I just think, like you said, they're they're lined up, you know, pretty well across their whole uh, team. I think they've got good momentum and they've got that fire burning uh, from the destiny that is ahead of them. So I I would have to tip uh, Melbourne um, just purely logically, Tiz, as you're always a fan of.
3: Mystic optically. (laughs) Uh, I'll be... I'll be going yeah, the Demons as well yeah. in this contest, uh, un- unfortunately. I-, I definitely feel like we're uh, in with a great chance, though, just with how the clashes have gone previously. And we've seen teams before where they've... <laughs> just asked Geelong fans, <laughs> where we've beaten the team once or twice throughout the home and away. Come bloody finals time, they somehow pip us. So it um, it's just absolutely unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I think we've definitely... Definitely in with a great chance. And if everything goes right, Geelong can win. But I, I just think Melbourne, with the, the record over the course of the year and just all the stars lining up, know, Max Gorn kicking that winner after the siren, and they're just their cleanliness under pressure and the ability for them to put opposition under pressure. But Geelong make hard work of everything. As I said um, previously, They they find a way to probably stuff things up more often than not. And I think in a game of uh, centimetres, I think you can just see Geelong not really being able to snap in the heat of the moment. So we'll definitely challenge them. Um, But, yeah, I think Melbourne just a little bit more clean and polished to be able to get the wind shook.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Melbourne have been probably the top side this year. Um, They're very even across the entire field. You know, that back line looks impenetrable. the likes of Ben Brown coming into the side is—he's looking really important, and I think Tom McDonald is going to have an important role um, as well in that side, whether it's kicking goals or or playing a bit of dummy lead sort of factor. I think it's going to be really crucial. Um, yeah, I think Demon's depth is, is really important, and they—they're looking really amazing, but. it it comes down to a a line of what I think is a consistent side versus probably the most inconsistent side you can ever see the Geelong cats and not just on a game to game basis, the cats moment to moment basis. We saw in that Melbourne game, the cats, you know, had a five, 10 minute period where they just piled on goals and goals and then they kind of capitulated in that second half or last quarter, really, even (laughs) it was, it was pretty wild to see. And, I still have a belief that this Geelong side is spectacular. Every player I look at is a top A grade talent in my mind and that at their best, every player playing together can be an unbeatable side. And I think Melbourne is the logical choice, but I'm going with the, the heart choice and with the, you know, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, but surely when you're an inconsistent team, you will try your best to
2: yeah.
1: put on the heat when it's the big moment that counts. And with a leader like Joel Selwood um, leading the charge, I feel like it's going to be desperate acts. And I think a crucial factor will be danger. I know he's been saying he's been kind of injured with his hand or the likes, but I think he's been really poor this final series um, I, and really most final series he's played and I, I, I go down the radar of being a danger hater sometimes when it comes to the big moments but I think he's going to be crucial and if he can switch on and he can get you know even 25 touches or more like that's not a huge amount but if he gets 25 crucial touches a couple inside 50s and maybe a couple shots a goal I think Danger's going to be able to step up and help this cat side get over the line so I'm
0: I'm backing the cats with my fingers crossed Absolutely, it's going to be an amazing game. Either way, it's going to be two of the best games you'll see all year, the prelims. The next one up is Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide versus the Western Bulldogs at Adelaide Oval. They now have the advantage of playing two home games in their home state, in their own beds, on their own streets, and the Dogs have got some momentum back, but the power look like they've peaked at the right time in 2021. What are our thoughts on this game, boys? What was that? That was great. <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, the, the emotions uh, getting to me and losing my voice. Langers is
2: just getting emotional. Fizz is dying. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, though,
3: um j- just before I have to say that's the most nicest thing Chook's ever said about Paddy Dangerfield. Yeah. It's probably the longest <laughs> tip ever from <laughs> the team of uh, uh, the AFLU team. So no, it, was, it was great discussion, though. Um, what a game this will be. I'll tell you what, uh, Port Adelaide obviously did all the hard yards and put the cats to the sword in the first week of the finals and they'll take on the dogs uh, Adelaide Oval, obviously a massive advantage there. They'll, they'll have a decent crowd in whatever COVID and uh, the South Australia premier reckons. Um, yeah. Home ground advantage is big. Uh, Bont 50, 50. He'll, he'll play just a matter of how much. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of impact he has because uh, yeah, if there are any chance, if dogs are any chance uh, without giving away any tips there, uh, we'd like to think that yeah, Bont would have to have a a massive game and uh, influence on the match to be able to get across the line. But yeah, obviously the home ground helps out a lot. And uh, look what we saw, they've obviously got that freshen up from the break. Uh, The week off obviously would have been a massive help and the dogs played in a super taxing final against the Lions. Port Adelaide would have been absolutely loving what they saw with both sides bashing up each other and, yeah, a really tough game. We've seen a number of games recently where one-point wins don't end up too well. We saw the Pies, you know, beat the Eagles by a point. Uh, the Cats beat them by 10 goals the week after that. Uh, the Giants defeated, obviously, the Swans very recently by a point and then went down to the Cats uh, relatively comfortably. I reckon there's some more I can definitely think of, but those are two from recent finals that do come to mind that, again, probably don't help you if you, if you scrape over the line. But definitely... Going to be challenging the Dogs' backline, who has been absolutely outstanding um, over sort of the last little period. And yeah, their midfield getting back to the work we know that they can do. And um, yeah, Port's small forwards have been quite influential and definitely will uh, be enough to cause any back six um, some headaches. And Cody Waitman out as well is going to be huge. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw him kick four goals in the, in the first final, and he's it, just another avenue up forward they got a lot of goals from midfield last week um, by by looks of it league like liber and uh Bailey Smith kicked 5 of the 11 goals so they'll definitely be wanting a bit more from um, Shaki and I'm trying to think of Norton Norton as well so
1: <laughs> just forget who he is yeah the astronaut <laughs> well, but he is your nemesis after all tears isn't he
3: uh, he's um, been very good been very good this year chuck so um,
1: I, I think you've kind of sealed the deal with in terms of my thoughts of the Bulldogs and what I've been saying every day, or you know, I talk about the dogs. <laughs> every, day. Know, up, <laughs> every day. Every day <laughs> When you mentioned that the, those goals to Libba and to Smith is that they are a midfield side. I think most of their goals were coming from the midfielders, particularly after Waitman got knocked out. I think he's probably one of their um, better kind of small forwards in the side, but they are a midfield side and they need that midfield to fire on all lines in order to be you know, exciting and going, you know, well. I, just to kind of go on some specific points here, I want your thoughts, Langers, particularly. Um, we have discussed this, the factor of whether or not you bring in the big ruckman, Stefan Martin, over the last few weeks. I have been one that has gone, you've got to do it against these good ruck sides. You've got to do it, you got to do it. Now I've reached the point where I feel... Don't bring in any unforced changes. Don't do any unforced changes. Leave Stefan Martin out now. Like, you've committed the last two weeks. Why would you change up something that overall for the team has been working? I feel like, they're in my mind, I don't think they're going to make the change. And now I'm on the side that, you know, maybe you shouldn't make the change. Just leave it be. But what do you think, Lang, is on that call? Do you think the Stefan Martin change is going to be made, despite the fact they haven't done it against really quality Ruckman so far?
0: I think they have to, Chook. I think they, they've got to do it this week. Uh, McInerney is a good young ruck when he was playing hard last week and it almost cost them the game, as we were talking about in our group chat. And Lysette takes no prisoners. He's a bit more experienced than McInerney and he's a bigger body all around he's, and is he's a bit nastier, too. And with that combination of Lysette and Dixon in the forward line and you know sometimes Marshall, they're, they're a big, strong, tall team, as Geelong found out in the first final. I think they're going to have to get Martin in just to literally just be a, you know, a piece of meat to get battered with almost because it's a, it's a game that you know, wow. it's a move that will happen that that might get the dogs into the grand final, to be honest, because Lewis Young would just get absolutely eaten alive by Dixon and Lysette, to be honest. I think it, it could almost cost the dogs yeah. this game directly by not doing something and, Yes, they, they won the game last week, but it, it, could, it was a flip of a coin short. And I think the dog can't be that stubborn as to not bring a Ruckman in, whether it's Sweet or Martin. I, I don't really care. They just have to do something. But obviously, they're going to have some some forced changes, but I, I don't think it's the worst thing to have this change in the Ruck as well.
2: It's a big call, mate. Um, I probably are on the side of back English in. Um, I think we saw... First half last week, English rucked about 40% of the time. Second half, 88% of the time. And and the difference was notable. You know, English was pretty solid in the ruck. You know, he didn't dominate the game by any stretch, but he quelled McInerney's ability to just grab it out of the ruck, bailed it forward. So I think it's a huge risk to bring in a 34-year-old who hasn't played much footy, is towards the end of it, a lot of it probably comes down to how's Martin actually looking on the track? You know, is he looking fresh or, or is there a risk that he could just come out and play like a 34-year-old that hasn't played much footy? So I probably err on the side of playing English more rock and finding a way to structure that forward line in maybe a, a manner that can, can work a bit better with the Smalls. But, um, yeah, very interested to hear your thoughts, Tiz, on whether you'd be making any big changes.
3: I absolutely think that, uh, I was about to say English, <laughs> Martin should, should be included in, in the side. Hello. I think for to, to give them a chance to make uh, the big dance, I, I reckon it's obviously normally the dominant Ruckman in the game will, will get their side across the line. And I think even though English is probably not uh, you know, their, their first coil up forward, without Bruce, I think they do need some more presence up there. I think he was okay up forward last week. He might have kicked one or two next week's name, but yeah. And I think it just gives him some extra insurance as well um, in that ruck battle to sort of at least um, try and see how it goes. And I think at their best, I think Martin when Martin was playing earlier in the season and in good touch, I definitely think that would have been well off the back of, um, of his good play. So yeah, it's um a Rob Peter to pay Paul. That, that, that's that's a real question. So, I think it'd be worth trying if he's in if he's in good nick and they yeah. think it's going to be the best mix. I'd I'd happily have him in the
0: side.
1: Beautiful. It, it's a it's a fair combination though that Port Adelaide, there, the the um and Lyssett kind of pairing. But I feel like I'm kind of spinning the wheel of rotation here, of talking heads with with another question I'm posing about our selection list is this one is about Port Adelaide. So I've I've got one i He I've, I've done the the doggies collection Port Adelaide here is he sounds like he's fit again he's recovered would you be bringing in Georgiades back into this forward line mixture for the Port Adelaide like he has been pretty decent when he's in that side and I don't know I feel like he is important to that forward dynamic but I think I've seen you shaking
0: your head already Langers I'd love to know your thoughts firstly uh, I'd bring him in but You'd, you'd take another tall out, so you'd throw up whether Marshall uh, or Giorgiardi. Sorry, gets the uh, Giorgiardi. <laughs> Binks, uh, Giorgiardi <laughs> gets the spot. Um, Marshall's been okay, but Giorgiardi just has that absolute X factor and could have won the Rising Star this year. But I, I certainly would be going the four talls because we saw how damaging Port's small forwards have been and can be when they have that extra space. So. I definitely wouldn't go the four tools um, and it would just be a toss of the coin between Marshall and Georgiades.
3: Hundred percent. I, I wouldn't have him in the side. I, I don't know why Kenny Hinkley just loves Marshall. I don't feel like he does a lot, but some games he he can kick, you know, two or three. But a lot of other weeks he might kick one and not. You don't really see him. So uh, unless he's doing something uh, quite incredible, I feel like Georgiades is much tougher in that space. He's a really good mark a much more sound mark than Marshall and definitely really good on the set shot I've felt. And I think he's kicked over 30 goals this year easily, maybe even in the forties, but yeah, I think it's going to be a question is Fantasia, right? They'll, they'll definitely do everything they can. And it sounds like that he'll be okay for the prelim, but we langs you, you hit the nail on the head is that uh, their forward line uh, when it was really small was super damaging and, the dogs have been, you know, super good defensively on the tools. Um, gonna be flipping the coin short. What What do you think? Do you bring Mitchy boy in?
2: Yeah, I tend to agree with what you boys have said. You know, um, bring him in, but um, like for like, uh, because yeah, when I think of Port, I sort of think their main threat is that dynamic small forwards. You know how rosy, Gray, Butters, and you know, there's a couple other others that can chime in like Motlop and that. So yeah, I think that's probably the way you go. There's some big selection things for sure. And I think you said for the other game, Tice, it's probably going to be one and lost in the midfield and, and a lot of big games are. And I can't help but yeah feel like this one will be too. You know, you think that port dominate contested ball when they win that area, they I think always win at least this year. And and the dogs are pretty highly ranked in that as well. And you can see why they've got a massive midfield. Um, you know, what's the latest on Bonson Pally Is he sort of touch and go? We, I think he's right, yeah?
0: There's been, it was initially a concern it was a PCL, but I think it's more a corked calf, like right high up on the top of that calf at the back of the knee joint. So I, I think he'll be okay, but it would just be, if it's a pain thing, he's obviously going to pay through it. If there's no structural issues, then, then it will be fine. But I think at this stage, he'll be okay. Um, but it certainly doesn't look great and you definitely won't be at hundred percent, but you'd still take a 80% bond over pretty much any other player in the comp in, in a prelim.
3: That sounds to be seems to be the message anyway, that it is touch and go. He'll probably play. It doesn't seem to be structural, it's more more pain point, and they'll probably just, you know, needle him up and jab away. So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, reduce that pain it and is. hopefully can play a role for the for the dogs to.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. One with that midfield dynamic. Now, I just wanted to touch quickly on. A lot of people were bagging out Adam Trelaw last week for mm. his game. I didn't see him get a get a spot in that midfield at any point. I think he was playing kind of off the half forward a fair bit of that game. So, I don't, I'm not one to jump on it and judge a guy who I consider a, a still a premium and, and top level midfielder um, off of one game where I think he was kind of out of position. I don't know if it was a tactic they were trying to maybe use him as an offensive, like a defensive forward in the likes. Um, but I still think he's a good midfielder. And I want to ask a question about the dynamic here, guys, considering Bond and pally's potential injury, what three on ballers would you want to see getting the majority of the midfield time? Um, I'll probably say McRae would be in all of our spots mm. there as one of them, but I, I love going around quickly. If, what other two or or one other key midfielder you want to see get most midfield time for the dogs to be able to take down this
0: you know Boken Wines combination and, and the like? It's it's got to be McRae, Smith, and Liber for me.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, sure. I was just going to say, I think if Bond's in the team, I'm I'm still putting him in there. You know, you might rest him slightly more forward, but yeah, I, I would have Liber in there, McRae, and Bond.
3: It sounds like a pretty good three-course three combination there, Chuck. Um, there was some pretty damning vision of Trelaw. So ev- even though, you know, he, he was playing really well against the Bombers uh, only a week ago, maybe a bit of a position change. But, yeah, you'd still like to think that you're playing finals footy. Yet, uh, there was a lot of efforts there where they were really, really poor defensive efforts. So I wonder if he was playing with a bit of a injury. Did the um, did he just throw the toys out of the pram? It would be really inter- interesting to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe he's not happy with the role. So we'll definitely find out more more on um, that this week. But yeah, it, I, I felt he seemed to be okay on the outside when he was playing before he was injured this year, being able to and be we've more seen... efficient with the ball.
2: Yeah, sorry, mate. I, I, he didn't get massive centre bounce attendance in the first final either and, and racked up the 28. So, and earlier in the year when we saw him kicking those goals, it wasn't, you know, out of the centre bounce his numbers in that area haven't been like they were at the Pies. So yeah, he, they'll need a lift from him. He was well off. Weren't they? I mean, um, you always back a bloke like that to bounce back, but gee, just look, his his confidence looked shot, didn't it?
0: Mm. It did. He did have a very strong last quarter though, from what I saw and had a couple of key tackles, which did lead to scores. So it's not all about disposals. It's just about effort and intent. So Tiz, we've got be five better than that. Yeah. yeah, he does. Certainly has to be better than that. And I think the effort did change in the last quarter. But Tiz, we've got five minutes left, mate. Take us through your final prediction and thoughts and give us your tip, please.
3: Oh, big game for the dogs. Big game for Port Adelaide as well. And Ken Hinckley <laughs> and Luke Beveridge and the entire universe. <laughs> um, it's hard to go past Port Adelaide at home with the break. Uh, looking in really good stead. Dogs look a little bit bashed up and would have spent a lot of tickets that first week, especially as well in that that really uh, you know, rainy game in Tassie. Um, but yeah, most notably a big game. Last week, it was just such a taxing affair and a taxing couple of weeks. Port, nice and fresh at home with their small forward Mosquito fleet. Um, I think, yeah, they've got the right pieces of the puzzle to... To be able to go one further this year into the, the grand final, so and home ground hops out a fair bit, yeah. Uh, chook,
1: yeah, it's an interesting one, and you probably wouldn't be going past port at home, but purely by the fact that I've kind of been going against the dogs the last couple of weeks and they yeah. keep fighting back, <laughs> why not go to the dogs? I reckon a dogs and cats <laughs> classic battle, dogs and cats grand final coming up, maybe. Um, yeah, I think the dogs. I keep, I keep saying they only have a midfield, but they got so many of them and they're all doing so well. Bailey Smith and Libba looked great when they were up forward and kicking those goals. So maybe they don't need any other players in the team other than midfielders. So I'll, I'll back in the dogs this time around, um, whether they bring Martin in or not this time.
3: Alex Keith's been, been great, by the way. Our uh, down back team, absolutely solid with uh, um, you know keeping forwards uh, at bay short.
2: Yeah, and you'll have a massive task this week. Uh, look, I've been on the dogs, you know, a lot of massive fan. You know, I thought they'd win the past two final, but you got to respect Port. You yeah, know, that week off, I think, is more telling now. We all would have seen the numbers about, you know, win loss ratios prior to that buy and how it's kind of affected the first final winners in the qualifiers. So, Port Adelaide at home, they showed just how fierce they were. They'll be primed for this. And yeah, just part of me wonders. Yeah, the dogs have been punching on for a while, looking for their best form, finding it, a few injuries. I'm going to tip Port Adelaide.
0: My head and my heart are aligned on this decision and Port at home will surely be too strong for the dogs. And I think they have been battling for too long. The dog shorty, like you mentioned, and it will run out. Uh, I believe their their momentum and their fight that they do have. And absolutely they've had a fantastic year and, they still will push Port Adelaide. Don't get me wrong, it will be a close game. But I think just at home, Port won't make the same mistakes they did last prelim when they pretty much coughed up the game and potentially the grand final uh, to Richmond in that prelim final. So uh, Port for me, Port all round. Um, oh, Chook's oh, going to the dog, sorry. So I've been one out for both games, yeah, so we'll yeah. see what happens. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a huge weekend. We can't wait to get into the grand final preview and the prelim reviews. Uh, Thank you all to us who have listened to us so far this year. Please make sure you're getting around our content platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Spotify. We've got some awesome visual content coming out throughout the next couple of weeks, and there'll be plenty of discussions points happening uh, throughout that time as well. Boys, thank you for joining me. Happy to be here.
3: Thanks, fellas.
0: (laughs) Pleasure as always, boys. Uh, Until then, guys, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, AFL Unlimited, because footy is limitless.